Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Real Can Real Estate Investment Trust third quarter 2020 conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After management's presentation, there will be a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. I would now like to hand the conference call over to Jennifer Zeus, Senior Vice President and General Counsel. You may begin. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. I am Jennifer Seuss, Senior Vice President, General Counsel, and Corporate Secretary for RioCan. Before we begin, I would like to draw your attention to the presentation materials that we will refer to in today's call, which were posted together with the MDNA and financials on RioCan's website earlier this morning. Before turning the call over to Jonathan, I am required to read the following cautionary statement. In talking about our financial and operating performance, and in responding to your questions, we may make forward-looking statements, including statements concerning RioCan's objectives, its strategies to achieve those objectives, as well as statements with respect to management's beliefs, plans, estimates, and intentions, and similar statements concerning anticipated future events, results, circumstances, performance, or expectations that are not historical facts. These statements are based on our current estimates and assumptions and are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause our actual results to differ materially from the conclusions in these forward-looking statements. In discussing our financial and operating performance and in responding to your questions, we will also be referencing certain financial measures that are not generally accepted accounting principle measures, GAAP, under IFRS. These measures do not have any standardized definition prescribed by IFRS and are therefore unlikely to be comparable to similar measures presented by other reporting issuers. Non-GAAP measures should not be considered as alternatives to net earnings or comparable metrics determined in accordance with IFRS as indicators of RioCan's performance, liquidity, cash flows, and profitability. RioCan's management uses these measures to aid in assessing the trust's underlying core performance and provides these additional measures so that investors may do the same. Additional information on the material risks that could impact our actual results and the estimates and assumptions we applied in making these forward-looking statements, together with details on our use of non-GAAP financial measures, can be found in the financial statements for the period ended September 30, 2020, and management's discussion and analysis related thereto as applicable, together with RioCan's most recent annual information form that are all available on our website and at www.cedar.com. Thank you, Jennifer, and uh, thank you to everyone for joining us today. And in just a moment, I'm going to provide you with an update on our, our third quarter operating metrics. But before I do, I just want to express my appreciation. It's an appreciation for the confidence demonstrated by Ed, our board, and the RioCan team in my ability to take RioCan into a new era as CEO. Now, I'm passionate about this business. The past few months have presented a lot of new challenges, which have really only highlighted the important role that, that physical spaces are going to play in our lives and the role that RioCan plays as a leader in the Canadian real estate landscape. Now, there's volatility in our industry, that's undeniable, but that's what creates openings for true innovation and transformation. Continuing to help RioCan to achieve our vision in partnership with the best team in the business, that's a great opportunity, and I honestly, I can't wait to dive in. And I want to thank Ed once again, because you know, he's a real estate legend, and I'm fortunate that following the transition, 
I'll continue to benefit from his mentorship, his advisement, and his friendship as he assumes the role of non-executive chairman. Now we're going to have a seamless phase transition over the next five months, and this is going to ensure a steady continuity of RioCan's business strategy and vision. Ed and I are going to be fully embedded in our new roles by April 1st of 2021. Now let's focus on our earnings and provide some important context on what we're doing in both the immediate and long term to protect and grow this business and why we continue to be confident in spite of the market volatility. Now I know rent collection is again on top of everyone's mind, so let me dive right into it. For the quarter, cash collected and SECRA proceeds collectively represent 93.4% of billed rent. So far in the fourth quarter, the positive trend in rent collection continues with 91.9% of October's rent collected. And of course, there's no further SECRA assistance built into that number. While we'd clearly prefer to report 100% collection, as we've been able to do during the first 26 years of our operation, we're pleased by the steady upward collection trajectory we've driven since April. We're also pleased to have upheld our position as a responsible Canadian industry leader throughout this crisis. We've balanced our tenants' needs with the well-being of our unit holders. From the start, we understood the need to provide immediate relief and protect smaller independent tenants. And when SECRA launched, we actively participated on behalf of approximately 1,800 qualifying tenant locations in the second quarter. Although CMHC policy dictated that all tenants were eligible in the second quarter, that all tenants that were eligible in the second quarter would automatically be eligible in the third quarter, RioCan established its own more rigorous criteria. As such, in the third quarter, we actively participated on behalf of approximately 950 tenants. So over that six-month SECRA period, RioCan abated approximately $14.2 million in gross rents. But in exchange for our participation, RioCan and the industry, well, we're going to benefit from the long-term survival and sustainability of these businesses. We view our participation as both good business practice and the right thing to do. So SECRA officially expired at the end of the third quarter. The federal government has since unveiled its new commercial rent relief program. It's called the Canada Emergency Rent Subsidy Program, or the unfortunate acronym of SERS. Um, and you know, we're still awaiting more details regarding this program. But what we do know is that it will provide direct support on a sliding scale for businesses that have, been, that have seen a revenue drop. The good news is that it will operate independent of landlord contribution or administration. So we view SERS as a positive initiative. It's going to provide much-needed short-term relief for a lot of very good businesses. Relief programs such as SECRA and SERS are valuable. However, the industry is still facing the most challenging conditions in our history. The bottom line is the same as I discussed last quarter. Every dollar matters to us. We're using our resources, our energy, and a thoughtful, strategic approach to maximize rent collection. To the extent we need to make concessions, we continue to negotiate lease amendments with tenants that will benefit the trust over the long term. Now, we're keenly focused on the health of retail and the impact of closures on RioCan. There have been a lot of CCAA filings since March. However, as I'm sure you're aware, CCAA filings allow companies to restructure. It doesn't necessarily mean that the locations will close. Often, the restructured businesses emerge leaner and more resilient. 
and it's important to note the relative impact of these filings on RIOCAN. Of all the retailers that have filed for CCAA protection, confirmed closures represent only 0.9% of RIOCAN's total revenue, and most are predictably, uh, predictably from the apparel sector. Now, I'm not downplaying the very real struggles within the industry, but I do want to emphasize that to date, the relative impact on RIOCAN's revenue is far less than what one might believe in light of the ongoing negative retail narrative. RIOCAN is aided by the stability and diversity of our rental revenue. But let me explain. 78% of RIOCAN's rental revenue is derived from tenants that we deem to be either strong or stable, even in this current environment. Now, we collected 96.7% of the rent from these tenants in the third quarter. These categories are comprised primarily of grocery, pharmacy, liquor, essential services, and value retailers that have strong covenants and have demonstrated resilience in very volatile economic cycles. Our strong foundation of strong, necessity-based tenants with excellent covenants has been invaluable through the pandemic as they deliver stable revenue and long-term value. And the strength and the stability of this core allows our team to focus on the much smaller proportion of tenants within our portfolio that are potentially vulnerable in these current conditions. Now, not surprisingly, this category is comprised primarily of apparel, some personal services, gyms, sit-down restaurants, and movie theaters. Now, although we anticipate the majority of tenants in this category will return to stability after this pandemic, as always, we continue to strategically evolve our portfolio. For instance, when the apparel segment started showing signs of weakness 10 years ago, RioCan initiated a significant reduction of our exposure in this category. It now represents only 7.4% of our annualized rental revenue, and we're going to continue to, to reduce this number further over time. There are more restructurings and failures to come. There's no doubt about that. This pandemic has created an environment where there's potential vulnerability in unexpected sectors such as restaurants and gyms. However, 90% of the tenants that, we have, that we've identified as potentially vulnerable, well, they're in well-located uh, major markets, and, and RioCan's major market properties are really always in demand. We've got the strongest leasing team in Canadian real estate. We've got a highly adaptable portfolio. We're going to continue to lean into these attributes to rebalance and mitigate the exposure to these vulnerable categories. We're going to use our well-located space to tap into evolving trends. Even in the midst of this pandemic, RioCan's leasing team negotiated an impressive 63 deals representing 368,000 square feet of new leases in the third quarter. This is actually more new leasing than we did in the same quarter last year. And the rents we achieved were well above our average rent per square foot across our portfolio. We're signing deals with the kind of resilient tenants with strong covenants that, that really are emblematic of our overall portfolio. And our third quarter renewals also speak to the strength of our locations. In spite of the unprecedented disruption in the market, RioCan signed 145 renewals, totaling nearly 950,000 square feet in the third quarter. This translated into a retention ratio of 88.4%, very much in line with our historic pre-pandemic results. And the blended new leasing and renewal spread for the quarter was a healthy 5.5%. Our renewal and new leasing spreads demonstrate there is still healthy upside between our average portfolio and market rents. We ended the quarter with 96% committed occupancy. That's a respectable number at any time, 
but even more impressive in this existing environment. Our Q3 same property NOI growth was negative 9.1, so not really growth, but negative 9.1, but stronger than it was the previous quarter. However, as anticipated, it really was impacted by the short-term influence of COVID-19. So now moving over to Rio Can Living, which is our residential portfolio. In the face of COVID-19, the collection of over 99% of our third quarter residential rent is really a testament to the desirability of Rio Can Living's offering. Overall, leasing velocity continues to, prog to progress well at our rental residential properties, including Brio, which is our 163-unit property in Calgary and our first development with partner Boardwalk REIT. We started leasing units at Brio at the beginning of April, and in spite of launching at the height of the pandemic in the hard-hit Calgary market, Brio is already 53% leased at just shy of performer rents. Rio Can Living will continue to add high-quality rental residences to our portfolio over the next few years. In addition to the combined 850-plus units at East Central, Frontier, and Brio, Rio Can Living has more than 4,500 additional purpose-built rental residential units that are either currently under construction or they're going to be starting by 2022 at the latest. And Pivot, which is our 361-unit building at the intersection of Young and Shepherd in Toronto, commenced leasing in late October, with occupancy expected for December of this year. Now, Pivot, in our mind, perfectly represents the Rio Can Living offering. It's directly adjacent to our newly renovated Young Shepherd Center, and it's on intersecting subway lines, which still matters. We're confident that whatever the short-term impact of COVID-19, Pivot and our other Rio Can Living offerings will thrive in the long term. We've also got 2,900 condo and townhouse units either completed or to be underway by 2022 at the latest. This includes 11YV in Toronto's Yorkville neighborhood, which is now firmly under construction and it's 99% pre-sold. Last, Rio Can Winfields, which is our mixed-use development in Oshawa, it's progressing extremely well. UC Towers, which is a 503-unit high-rise portion of the site, is 95% pre-sold. And UC Uptowns, the 153-unit low-rise component, it's effectively pre-sold. The first phase of retail at the site, excluding two undeveloped pads, is nearly 93% leased to strong, necessity-based tenants such as Sobeys, Freshco, and others. Now, this is pretty good in the face of the prevailing beliefs that there's no need for new physical retail locations. Collectively, these projects add much-needed, high-quality residential inventory into some very tight Canadian markets. In addition, they provide us, Rio Can and its unit holders, with additional revenue diversification. While we don't rely on the income generated from these condo and townhouse projects, it will provide a bridge to supplement our core FFO, particularly during this pandemic. Rio Can's intensification program will continue to unlock the significant value that's, that's inherent in our existing assets. This program adds substantial net asset value and diversifies our sources of cash flow. It's as relevant now, in fact, potentially even more relevant than it was pre-COVID-19. Now, our focus has obviously been on managing our business and tapping into growth opportunities to drive resilient, sustainable value, but it's also important to highlight that our commitment to sustainable growth hasn't diminished. We published our second sustainability report in September. Our achievements since last year include achieving the highest Gresby public disclosure score, which is an A rating, 
and improving our GUS survey score by almost 29% over last year. That makes three consecutive years of improvement, and we've also included environmental and social competencies in our board skills matrix, and we've incorporated ESG-specific goals in our employee performance review process. Now, we know that embedding sustainability in all aspects of our business improves the value of our assets and our organization as a whole. It will continue to be an ongoing focus of ours. We're now well into the second wave of this pandemic. It's clear that this recovery will take time. The balance of 2020 will certainly bring ongoing challenges in our sector. We will continue to explore the variety of new and relevant commercial uses that have increased in their viability throughout this pandemic. This includes micro-fulfillment, community care centers, and alternative retail uses. There are many other examples of innovative uses to which our portfolio lends itself, and we're, con we're carefully considering each and every one of them. We're long-term thinkers and we will proceed responsibly but quickly to make sound decisions to drive sustainable growth and, as always, create value. For 26 years, your team here at RioCan has demonstrated its ability to diversify our tenant mix and tap into evolving growth trends. We've done so to drive resilient, sustainable unit holder value. We continue to see proof that our adaptable major market properties are always in demand. We're going to continue to repurpose, always moving towards evolving needs. We're going to rapidly reshape our tenant base to focus more than ever on resilience. We've got the team, the locations, and certainly the balance sheet, and we also have the drive, expertise, and relationships to weather the storm. As always, RioCan will adapt and we will thrive, and I will now turn it over to Chi Tang, our CFO, for some more information. Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. I would like to start by congratulating both Jonathan and Ed on their new roles effective next April. Uh, the entire RealCan team is rallying behind John. It's a great pleasure working with him, and I'm confident that he's going to do a great job leading the team as our next CEO. Congratulations, John. Ed built RealCan from the ground up and is the driving force behind our successes. I have learned a lot from him over the four years I've been with RealCan and look forward to continuing to learn from him in his capacity as our chairman. Ed, thank you very much for your leadership and mentorship. As Jonathan outlined, RealCan has delivered strong performance for the third quarter within a very challenging environment due to the pandemic. We saw positive rent collection trends, continued momentum in leasing activity and maintain a high occupancy rate. For the quarter, we reported FFO per unit of 41 cents, a 6 cent or 17.2% improvement over Q2. During challenging times such as we find ourselves amid a global pandemic, liquidity is of paramount importance. As at the end of the third quarter, Real can continue to maintain ample liquidity of over 800 million in the form of cash and cash equivalents and undrawn, committed, revolving line of credit and other credit facilities. In addition, our unencumbered assets stood at 8.7 billion, generating 57% our annualized NOI and providing 221% coverage for our unsecured debt. Our debt to adjust the EBITDA matrix was 9.13 times, 
and debt to total assets was 44.8%. These two metrics increased from Q2, driven by the impact of the pandemic on property operations and valuations for the past two quarters. This is particularly notable for debt to adjusted EBITDA, considering it is a 12-month trading measure. We maintain our long-term goal of keeping our leverage and adjusted debt to EBITDA within the target range of 42% or lower and under eight times, respectively. However, we expect these two metrics to increase marginally in the near term given the impact of the pandemic on a 12-month trailing basis. Our cost of debt continue to decline with a weighted average effective interest of only 3.25%, which compared to 3.44% as of the year end and 3.29% last quarter end. With respect to capital recycling, during the quarter, we sold a 50% non-managing interest in our mixed-use residential development at Dufferin Plaza in Toronto at approximately $115 per square feet of the zone density. Our new partner, Maple Land, is an affiliate of a large real estate conglomerate based in UAE. This is Maple Land's first entry into the Canadian real estate market and a testament to the attractiveness of our assets not only to Canadian investments, but also internationally. Also in the quarter, we sold to Killam Apartment REIT a 50% co-ownership interest in Luma at approximately $45 per square foot of zone density plus reimbursement of development costs. This is our third partnership with Killam. Luma is the first phase of the redevelopment of real camps Onville Acres Shopping Center in Ottawa. We have already started construction on the project, which spans a discrete portion of the center that has no existing income. These two transactions, combined with two small deals, generated a total gross sales process of about 55 million, including development cost reimbursements and 11 million inventory gains for the third quarter. We announced yesterday firm agreement to sell a 50% non-managing interest in the residential rental component, eCentral, and the com commercial component of our ePlace mixed-use property at Young Eglinton to Woodbourne on behalf of itself and one of its pension fund clients for $150.8 million in line with our IFRS value. This valuation represents capitalization rates of 3.5% and 4.5% for the residential and retail components, respectively, based on stabilized NOI. We also agreed to sell to Woodbourne a 50% non-managing interest in our RISM residential rental development for $5.4 million at $51 per square foot of zone density plus reimbursement of pre-closing development and construction costs, with some exceptions. RISM is the first phase of a multi-phase mixed-use development on a discrete portion of our Westgate Shopping Center in central Ottawa. Importantly, our assets, with prominent high-growth locations, attractive demographics, and superior transit, transit access, 
have drawn interest and commitment from reputable partners here in Canada and abroad. These partnerships attracted deal pricing and the ongoing momentum of our residential projects during the current global pandemic reflect the demand for well-located, high-quality residential assets, as well as our established development expertise and the significant value creation opportunities that RealCan's pipeline offers. We will continue our strategy to monetize the value inherent in our portfolio and development pipeline and reduce the amount and cost of capital required to build out our urban mixed-use development. As of yesterday, including the essential and reason firm deals I noted earlier, we have firm or conditional deals to sell assets for growth proceeds of about 276 million. These assets are mostly located in the major markets. The disposition consists of 227.6 million of income-producing properties and about 49 million of development properties. These income-producing properties have a weighted average in-place capitalization rate of 3.6% based on firm or conditional deal prices and development properties uh, do not have a material in-place NOI, of course. We remain committed to our development program and unlocking the significant value in tearing our portfolio. Our development projects are nearly all mixed-use developments within Canada's six major markets and will provide meaningful value creation when complete. On slide 18 of our conference call presentation, we highlight the benefit of our development program. One is asset diversification as we diversify our portfolio into mixed-use residential. Another is NOI and FFO creation with enhanced lever development yield. Assuming our 42% leverage target, development yield is further enhanced by the low CMHC, CMHC financing rate for mixed-use residential assets. And then there is the benefit of accelerated net assets growth. Given low cap rates of, for residential assets, intensifying our existing properties with the residential assets provides significant NOI growth compared to that of equivalent commercial development. Assuming a residential development with 5.5% yield and capitalization of 3.5%, it could generate over 55% NAV growth over cost compared to about 10% NAV growth over cost with the commercial development assuming the same development yield but higher capitalization rate of 5%. Currently, retail accounts for about 90.2% of the trust annualized rental revenue, followed by office at 8.1% and residential at 1.7%. As more real living residential rental buildings currently underway are completed and stabilized, the residential proportion of the trust portfolio will grow and the mixed-use nature and net assets of the trust will expand. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to our CEO, Ed, for his closing remarks. Uh, thank you, Chi. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Jennifer. And uh, good morning, everyone. So, here we are almost eight months into a pandemic 
the likes of which the world has actually not seen really in just over 100 years. I think the results we released this morning and the presentations by Jonathan and Chi confirm the resilience of Recan's property portfolio and our uh, people. Notwithstanding that the pandemic is causing greater difficulties for our tenants, and accordingly us, than we expected as recently as a couple of months ago, not only are our results holding up well, but our progress in filling the holes that are created by bankruptcies and our tenants simply disappearing is extremely encouraging. We exist right now in what I've taken to calling an upside-down world as a result of the pandemic cloud that we are all living under. Rent collection, rather than ability to grow FFO and net asset value, have become the has become the most important metric by which REITs seem to be judged. The formerly irreplaceable, and for REITs in Canada virtually unobtainable, downtown office towers and fortress malls have suddenly become properties that customers and tenants don't even want to go to. Urban retail is hurting, while suburban, comparably, is performing very well. And even that always thought to be bulletproof sector, multi-residential rental apartments is being questioned due to a number of factors, not the least of which are government intervention by way of rent freezes and eviction prohibitions. And these from largely conservative provincial governments. And unfortunately, I could go on in showing you that everything that was accepted wisdom in the real estate business only eight months ago has been turned on its head, even in the face of record low interest rates and massive government spending. The sole exception to this seems to be the market for new condominium developments and even more so single-family homes and townhomes. Perhaps that is one sector that is actually reacting the way it should in the current interest rate environment where just yesterday the Bank of Canada promised us low interest rates well into 2023. And yet, RECAN is getting through this upside-down world even better than I would have thought. In the spring of this year, I warned that occupancy could go as low as 94% by year-end. In fact, as Jonathan has told you, it stood at 96% as of September 30th, and we don't foresee much, if any, deterioration in that metric by year-end. Happily, we're leasing space up almost as fast as it disappears, as the tenants disappear. Unfortunately, no one anymore believes that saying goodbye to 2020 will mark the end of the pandemic or its effects on our business. But it will end. I hope earlier in 2021 rather than later, but this is out of our control. All we can do is ensure that no matter how long it lasts, our liquidity remains robust, which it is and will be, and that our amazing team keeps finding new uses and tenancies for the space that inevitably will become available. Based on their performance in their last quarter and for the last 26 years, quite frankly, I have no doubt they will. And when the world writes itself sometime next year, RECAN will continue and resume its growth in ways we are already working on. Of this I am certain. And those who choose to invest in what is our ridiculously undervalued units will be rewarded, and I believe rewarded very well. Finally, I've addressed well over 100 quarterly conference calls. 
But this is my penultimate call. You only have to put up with me one more time at our year-end call, which I believe is currently scheduled for February 11, 2021. While I will leave for then any stories, thoughts on the future, and lessons learned, I will tell you now that I have complete confidence in the existing team soon to be led by Jonathan Gitlin. I believe they have a portfolio that not only produces great cash flow, but is so rife with opportunities for growth in income and value that it will keep them profitably engaged for at least the next couple of decades. Thank you for dialing in, and we are now happy to take whatever questions you have for us. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star then the one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. It will just be one moment for our questions. Our first question comes from the line of Sam Demiani from TV Securities. Your line is open. Thanks, and good morning, everyone. Uh, maybe just to start off on, um, on the transaction market, it's encouraging to see the pipeline of dispositions in progress at this time. Um, obviously, the eCentral and, uh, and some other development properties form the bulk of it. Can you comment on the, the market for more traditional you know, stabilized retail properties? Um, how is that uh, shaping up, and do you see the ability for RealCan to, to cycle out of some of those assets to, to raise capital uh, in, the, in the quarters ahead? Sure. I, oh, go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say, uh, you know what? We're actually not looking to sell um, our traditional assets, uh, traditional retail assets, uh, in any um, you know really uh, uh, big move, big way. It's a very slow market in any event for those because I think there's just so much uncertainty as to what, uh, quite frankly, not only next year but the future of retail. Uh, the, you know, the narrative out there is so negative uh, about the future of retail, which we don't agree with that narrative, obviously, and I think our numbers are showing how incorrect that narrative is, uh, that it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a you know, bad way to raise capital. Uh, instead, uh, we're going to continue with what we, we've been doing, which is taking in partners um, in a lot of our uh, uh, development assets where we've created tremendous value that's quite simply not even on our balance sheet. And when we do sell them, we give up either very little, if any, income uh, or sell them at a tremendously low cap rate uh, like East Central. And I think we're going to be focused on that rather than traditional assets. But and in any event, the market for traditional assets right now is so slow as to be almost non-existent. I see. Um, Second question uh, is just on the um, the tenant uh, mix that you disclosed this quarter between you know strong, stable, and potentially vulnerable. With you know just just over 20% in the in the potentially vulnerable. Um, like how how are the rent collections in there? You know going forward, you've got anything around 85% in the quarter, but uh, you know given the restrictions that have been imposed by by governments in recent weeks uh, you know how how should we think about that in the next uh, couple of quarters well you know a couple of quarters is a long time sam 
I mean, we've seen how, <laughs> uh, how uh, we've been going through this world. Uh, uh, as we came through, I'll call it August, and even into September, uh, I think we all thought the world was uh, in a pretty good place, uh, as you can see from our, our collections, and even into October. Uh, you know, our rent collections in October were, uh, uh, considering what's going on, quite excellent. Um, you know, again, we always strive for 100%, but, uh, you, know, and, you know, maybe we'll get back there again next year. But then in October, we had this 28-day uh, or shutdown, which has been extended in Quebec. Luckily, uh, we are, you know, our exposure to Quebec is fairly small uh, in the overall scheme of things. Uh, but even here in uh, Toronto and Ottawa, which are, you know, really our two biggest individual markets by far, um, uh, especially when you include, uh, you know, the, the larger GTA and Peel, you know, suddenly there was this 28-day lockdown. And, uh, you know, there's only so long that uh, tenants can go uh, without uh, revenue uh, before they start wanting to talk to their landlord. Um, you know, I think uh, this quarter, uh, depending on how long, it all depends on how long the lockdown uh, lasts. Uh, Premier Ford uh, keeps talking about good news coming today. We'll see what that is. I think a lot of the tenants are, are pushing back against these, quite frankly, in my opinion, arbitrary lockdowns. All the tenants, by the way, that have been locked down are in that vulnerable category. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would expect that none of them are disappearing in the next quarter or two. Uh, certainly I say that with quite, quite confidently when it comes to tenants like uh, Cineplex, like uh, Good Life. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I was talking yesterday to the uh, CEO of, uh, of Cineplex and, uh, you know, uh, there's been a lot of publicity about the uh, gyms pushing back, but he's pushing back too, you know, perhaps not as publicly. He doesn't have a bunch of members uh, that can uh, send uh, letters for him. Uh, but as far as he knows, there hasn't been one case that's been traced to a movie, uh, uh, a movie theater. Uh, so again, you know, arbitrary things happen. I understand government has to react. Uh, but even uh, Mayor Tory, uh, who I think has, has until fairly recently been a, you know, a fan of stay home, lock everything down again. Uh, I'm probably overstating what he's saying, but even he understands that you're destroying society, uh, not just business, but society, when you don't have um, places for people to go where they can just get out of their apartments or their homes and be entertained and feel a little bit of normalcy, whether that's a gym, a restaurant, or a theater. And that those things, uh, even when it comes to mental health, uh, perform a great, uh, a great service. So I've given you a very long answer uh, to a short question. When it comes to numbers, I'll let Jonathan answer. Well, no, I can add one more, um, one more approach, which is we also don't know at this point the extent and the nature of the new governmental assistance program, SIRS, and I do think that that will assist a, you know, a fair bit of these, these potentially vulnerable tenants. So until we have that sense, uh, it's also hard to predict what the overall impact will be. Uh, that's great. Thank you. I'll turn it back. Uh, but before I do so, I'll just congratulate uh, you, Ed, and you, Jonathan. All the best. Thanks. Thanks so much, Sam. Our next question comes from the line of Tal Woolley from National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to uh, follow up on uh, the discussion around uh, East Central and Econdo. Um, you know, I was thinking last night you. When the press release came out, I was like, okay, this is a great demonstration of 
A, what the company can do, the values uh, that you can achieve when you, uh, you know, look to sell some of these uh, projects. But at the same time, I kind of wondered, it's like, okay, you took a lot of time, development risk, financing risk, and then you're, you're selling, uh, you know, a portion of the project. And so can you maybe talk to me about why this particular project um, and maybe just a bit about the run-up into the decision to sell the 50% interest in this because you were you're sort of already getting to stabilization. Well, you know, the, uh, you know, and I'll let Jonathan add, uh, of course, what, what he would like. Keep in mind, until just over a year ago, we only ever owned 50%. And, and basically our strategy, uh, if you look at almost all of our residential assets, is to be a 50% owner. Uh, and that, uh, that originally started out, quite frankly, as a way for us to learn the business, where the original partners we took in were people who were already in the multi-res business because, you know, actually operating things may, may not be uh, rocket science, but designing them, uh, figuring out what amenities you want to put in, how they actually operate on a day-to-day -day basis, um, and, and to, to keep them leased at the highest possible rents, you know, that's something we have to learn. Lately, what we've switched to doing is bringing in more uh, what I call monetary passive partners, capital partners. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's a program that if we want to raise capital to keep building new ones, is something that's quite frankly essential because, you know, we're laser focused on our balance sheet. <coughs> we think that the, the quality of our balance sheet, the very objective, uh, sorry, subjective objective, I had it right the first time, way in which we do our IFRS valuations, uh, the measurements we take, uh, we really think that uh, within our sector we have just a fantastic balance sheet and this is one way of keeping it that way and uh, one way that that's, uh, uh, you know, fits in with our overall strategy. Yeah, and Tal, I think that's a pretty fulsome answer. I don't have much to add to it other than it also is just a testament to our ability to, um, to manage these properties. I mean, we oversee, we'll asset manage this asset, and we're also, you know, at the uh, Rhythm property out at Westgate in Ottawa, we will be the manager of that development. So I think there's been um, a, a recognition that we've got a great skill set within RioCan, and for us and our ability to really capitalize on that expertise, I think is a good thing for our unit holders. Uh, so I think you will see, as Ed suggested, more and more examples of us being development manager or asset manager to these assets where we bring in these, um, call them um, capital partners. And I'm, I'm going to add a little more because you asked a good question, Tal, because it's something we really thought about a lot internally here before coming to a conclusion that that's the sort of disposition strategy we should follow. And the fact is, uh, what is our expertise? Our, our expertise um, is in developing these properties, creating the value, rezoning the lands in the first place, um, and then even marketing uh, the properties. And, you know, it, it, and we create them out of existing shopping centers and existing properties we own. And by selling these 50% interests, and not to say that the market is cynical, but it is, um, we actually prove the value that we're creating uh, to the marketplace. We don't just talk about it, we prove it. And, and, and we think that's an important factor too, in addition to the balance sheet and uh, cash factors that I mentioned earlier. Okay, uh, and then I guess my next question would be for Chi. Um, you know, we're starting to see uh, ratings agencies 
you know, take some actions around, uh, you know, different sectors in the TSX. Uh, can you just give an update sort of like on, you know, maybe when you last spoke and how you're feeling about how they're going to continue to look at credit ratings, uh, you know, if that's changed at all? Sure, Tao. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Um, so for, uh, I was first to address S&P. As you probably know, I think it's back in May, S&P hosts a general industry-wide uh, conference open to all the issuers talking about their rating methodology. They particularly emphasize they're going to take a long-term view uh, and recognizing that the pandemic is certainly a relatively short-term phenomenon. So they are, they also not long ago, only a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, issued their report uh, reinstating the triple B rating on us. So uh, S&P is more clearly, dis, uh, you know, uh, basically communicating their methodology. DBRS certainly uh, through our discussion with them, they also indicated they will take a, a more longer term view, but there is more dialogue going on and uh, we actually have some meetings scheduled with them coming up post the quarter. But in the past from our discussion, they also expressed uh, a view to basically look into a more longer term as well. We did meet with uh, DBRS as well and S&P after our second quarter results. So, you know, uh, uh, they tend to watch a little more carefully, perhaps today. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we certainly see no indication of any issues there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, uh, Ed, you had mentioned, you know, probably your number one question is around collection rates. I, I would say that's probably number two for me. Number one question is always about, and I'm sure you can guess what it is. It's the distribution. Can you just talk about how the board thought about, um, you know, distribution versus asset sales? things like that going forward? This uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a question that uh, we discussed at the board. Uh, well, we didn't used to discuss it as often, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's something that obviously has been discussed since, uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, April, <laughs> you know, when, when this whole mess hit us and the whole country went into lockdown. Uh, you know, we advised the board at that time that uh, from a liquidity point of view, there was no issue. Uh, and uh, that's still the case. Uh, there's certainly no issue from a liquidity point of view. Um, you know, is it uh, being valued by the market? I don't know, probably not, uh, but uh, that's not something we take too much into account. At the end of the day, the board uh, will have a continuing discussion with management over, quite frankly, is this the absolute best use of our funds? Uh, or are there other things we can do to create more value for uh, unit holders like buying back stock? Now keep in mind, uh, the distribution itself, um, there's a certain level that we're required to maintain to keep our tax situation being what it is. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I guess the Americans who, there were lots of uh, uh, REITs down there who just eliminated the distributions. That's never going to happen. Uh, I won't say in Canada, I guess in some cases maybe some have no choice, but that's never going to happen to any REIT that wants to stay a REIT uh, for tax purposes. So, um, you know, it's something we look at ongoing. Uh, today, there's, there's, you know, we're, we're not obviously announcing any changes in it, uh, and uh, it's something that uh, is going to be like a, like a lot of things. Depends on how the world's looking uh, over the course of uh, as the future unfolds, which nobody knows how that, what that will be. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. That's great. Okay. Thanks.
Our next question comes from the line of Jenny Ma with BMO Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning, everyone, and uh, congrats to Ed and Jonathan on your uh, respective career moves. Um, I, wanted, <laughs> I wanted to ask a question about the composition of your rent collection bucket. Um, if you look at sort of the pie charts that you had from this quarter versus last quarter, there's obviously been a huge improvement. So I'm just want, trying to understand the moving parts. Um, in terms of the increase in cash rent collected, would you say a lot of that came from the, the, the bigger deferral bucket from last quarter that caught up to this quarter or the to be collected uh, pie piece? Um, and then also my second related question is for the provisions piece, which is a little bit better, would you say the composition of the, the leases that are in there are, are more or less more or less the same? Oh, hi, Danny. I'll address that question. Uh, so from my, my understanding of your question, you want to understand the, what, what's the underlying drivers between the cash collection uh, change improvement between Q2 and Q3. It's really the fundamental, uh, you know, the tenant uh, the strength of the tenant, we collected, as you can see, this Q2, uh, when we first announced Q2 results, the Q2 collection is only 73%. So since then, of course, we collected more. Part of that collection is relating to the deferrals that used to be deferred in Q2, and now be based on the agreed schedule, some, you know, it's only a portion is due in Q3, so they got paid this quarter. So you will see the drop in deferral from the 7.7% in Q2 when we announced Q2 earnings to only 6.5%. So it's really a combination of collection of the deferred amount as well as additional collections. For Q3, because more and more businesses are open, and of course uh, the strength of the tenant, our collection efforts, you can see we already, uh, you know, pure tenant cash collection is already about 91%. October, again, that's without any separate funding is 92%. So really it's a combination of uh, how many businesses are open between Q2 and Q3 plus the uh, fundamental strength of the tenants as well as our uh, rent collection efforts. Uh, the second part of your question I believe is on the provision. The Q2 provision as you know represents about 6.8% of the uh, total bill rent. Q3 represents about 5.3% and uh, the reason that there is it's close you may ask Partly is because uh, there are two, fact, two main factors. One is Q2 provision because we have a because so many businesses were closed during Q2. We have agreed again back referring to the 7.7% deferral amount. So those, as you can imagine, when we did the Q2 provision, we provided some provisions even relating to deferrals, but based on all the collections in Q3, we're very comfortable with the Q2 provision. Q3, if you look at the cash collection and the remainder, because cash collection, including Sectra, is already 93.4. And uh, excluding the provision, we only have about 1.3% to be collected. That's between deferral and so essentially all the rest we provided as the provision. Um, and it's really a combination of Q2 is uh, relatively uh, lower appears to be. It's only because of the mainly because of the deferral amount. Hope that. Okay, great. 
great. That's great color. Um, and I apologize if I missed this, if you discussed it earlier on the call, but as far as the residential inventory gains that were booked in the quarter, um, what were they related to? And uh, do you expect this to be uh, an item that pops up in the coming quarters? Inventory gains, that is the Dufferin yeah. Plaza, uh, as we announced and disclosed. So that one, because we sell the assets, we already anticipate, uh, like even several quarters ago as we disclosed, that property already being moved to inventory because we expect to develop as a condominium project. So when we sell the assets, partial interest, of course, for accounting purpose, that's a, that portion relating to the inventory part is recognized as the inventory gain. And the second part okay. of your question, the second part of your question is yes. Uh, we uh, we're, we're, uh, the decision has already been made that a portion of a development, or in case in fact all of the development, is going to be a condominium rather than a rental. Uh, we classify it as inventory, and as we bring in partners or dispose. Of, uh, of those assets, uh, there will be those kinds of gains. Uh, obviously varying in amounts and timing. Timing is a bit unpredictable because it depends on zoning, on, uh, on uh, the market, it depends on a lot of things. But I think you'll see that as a regular part of our FFO uh, over the next quite a few years. Okay, thank you. Uh, so just to be clear, Q3 was just Duffer and Plaza. That's correct. Okay. And then moving to E Central, can you tell us what the split in the NOI is between the between E Central and E Place? I, I presume the E Place piece is relatively small. Yeah, we didn't disclose that uh, that split precisely, uh, but it's predominantly uh, the vast majority of it is the residential component. I think there's only 28,000 feet of. Uh, of uh, retail now it's very well leased retail most of it's occupied by uh, TD Bank uh, and the rest by uh, mostly restaurants uh, QSR restaurants that are in fact open and um, uh, the exact amount it, it was tiny okay uh, and then my final question is um, for the stabilized NOI at, uh, at East Central E Place um, you've got 892% occupancy now. What is the assumed occupancy in the stabilized number? Closer to 98%. Okay, great. Thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Our next question comes from a line of Howard Lum from Veritas Investment. Your line is open. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my question. I, I just want to uh, get a sense of the fair value changes in the quarter. Um, it looks like the, the adjustments were, were, I guess, in Q2, you could say they were all aligned in one direction, and now there's a bit of variance. Um, and apologies if I missed it um, in, in the actual notes to the call, but just wanted to find out why um, mixed-use urban, um, there, there was a write-down there and, um, and gains in the grocery anchor centers. You know what, the, the changes, while, while they're looking that up, uh, I'll just tell you the changes were minimal uh, and uh, write-downs weren't really related uh, to market. Sometimes in the mixed-use urban, we, uh, we tend to very, take a very conservative uh, method and some of the mixed-use write-downs, which are relatively small in the scheme of things, really were just where our cost to complete went up, uh, you know, by a million dollars. Uh, 
you know, the, uh, that, that gets reflected in the, in the value. That's actually pretty much the case. As you know, Q3 only have about nine million fair value loss, which is a combination of a variety of little things. So you see some up, some down. It's really fine tuning. Yeah. Uh, there were no major movements in anything, really. Yeah. No, I understood. So, so I guess they don't. These uh, these changes don't really relate to. Um, I guess the, the the second wave lockdowns that we've seen. I guess it would be after the quarter too, right? That'll be in October. Right. So, if there's any changes, that might not be until. Q4. Right. Yeah, that's right. And also our Q3 rent collection, as you know, is significant proof. So if anything, we actually, uh, in our Q2 uh, estimate on the cash flow impact, is actually a much more, um, you know, severe impact than what that. Yeah. Yeah, right, right now, I think our IFRS values are uh, uh, on, on the conservative side. And, yeah. uh, you know, we, we took a very conservative view at the end of Q2. Um, you know, uh, by the time we actually sat down to start doing uh, the IFRS calculations for Q3, uh, the lockdowns were starting. So we just said, you know what, let's just leave things largely alone and just make the, uh, the changes that uh, are required by reason of individual changing circumstances in the property. Yeah, and we looked, when we did the Q2 um, valuations, we looked very much at use and location. We went through our properties one by one, as we always do, and we focused on enclosed malls and uh, you know ones that had large theaters or ones that uh, were located in sort of secondary Alberta markets, um, which is where the you know there haven't been a lot of trades to evidence it, but our sense is that there would be some uh, diminished values there, and that's what was reflected largely in those Q2 write downs, uh, and we think that the, nothing changed between Q2 and Q3 in that regard. Okay, no, that, that, that makes sense. Um, and then I guess my other question, I, I wanted to, to touch on the, uh, the question about distributions um, and Ed's comments there um, about how, um, I guess, you, you, you looked at the distribution and kind of said, you know, there is kind of a necessary amount of distribution that needs to be paid each year to maintain the tax status. Can you kind of quantify roughly how much that would be, I guess, as a percentage of the current distribution right now? Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's 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 not an exact science because it depends on a, on your go forward uh, uh, estimates of what's doing, but roughly it's about uh, I'd say 60 odd percent uh, must be paid of our current distribution. Is that fair, Chief? Uh, yes, current year that will be a fair estimate. Yeah. Just it's driven to quite extent beyond the, the income from operations. It's also how many transactions we do and how much taxable gains in there. Right, right. Yeah. So it's it's a, it's a varying number. There's no uh, bright line figure that I could give you, but you know if you use 60% as a must distribute, you'd be uh, you'd, you wouldn't be far off either way. Okay. No. Yeah. That's. That, that, that's pretty helpful. And I guess when she talks about these capital gains, it's, that includes a partial dispositions, like the e place e central. That, that's, yeah, that's part of it as well? Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Right. right. Um, and, I, and I guess that kind of relates to the next question about sales. Are you, are you looking at, you know, kind of a consistent pipeline or expecting a pipeline of partial dispositions? Um, and, you know, what I, I know it's hard to project a range, but you think about next year, you know, fiscal 21, what, what range could that be in? Are we talking about 100 million plus, 200 million plus? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a specific number in mind. I think, uh, I think there's going to be opportunity given the strength of our, of our land holdings, as that is suggested earlier, uh, to do, um, you know, a number of other transactions where we bring in 
capital partners uh, for development properties while giving up very little uh, in the way of NOI and FFO. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to say that there would be you know, a couple hundred million dollars over the next uh, 12 months or so. But that's, again, at this point, an estimate. I mean, we're still in the process of finalizing our business plan for next year. We're, we'll be doing that, uh, quite frankly, uh, we're most of the way there, but quite frankly, in about 10 days or uh, in the next couple of weeks uh, for presentation mm -hmm. to our board at the beginning of December. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if it contemplates a couple hundred million dollars in dispositions. Right, right, yeah, and that should free up some liquidity as well. So that's, exactly. that's, that's good to know. Um, no, no, thanks. Thanks for all the thanks for answering the questions. That was very helpful. And uh, congrats to uh, Ed and, and Jonathan. I'll uh, pass the line. Thanks so much. Our next question comes from the line of Pammy Burr from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks, and uh, good morning. Um, all, all things considered, it looks like you know the operating metrics were, were looking a little better in Q3, even if they are still challenged. Uh, and I realize this is tough to answer, but how do you see you know your bad debts and abatements trending over the next uh, six to 12 months or so? Yeah, it is it is tough to answer because so much depends on what happens with uh, retailers uh, being open. I mean, what we clearly saw as we got through the second quarter and into the third, uh, so when we, retailers are open, they pay rent. Uh, I mean, they don't just always do it voluntarily, but uh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing business. They may or may not be making a lot of money depending on the particular uh, you know, uh, uh, situation, uh, but they pay rent. So if you can tell me who's gonna be open and who's gonna be closed uh, over the next uh, six to nine months, I could give you a real good answer to that, but we're we're relatively optimistic. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, but so much of it depends on what goes on medically. I mean, if you would have told me that France was going to go into a complete lockdown uh, this weekend after, you know, seemingly to have come out of the summer in very good shape, I would have been, uh, well, I would have been very cynical about that. Um, I think Canada overall is doing very well. Uh, compared to many other parts of the world, including obviously the United States. Um, but I also think that there's a real realization uh, amongst uh, the politicians that really matter when it comes to this, which is the provincial politicians by and large, that, uh, and you can see how they're, they're trying to deal with things, that you can't just keep closing down the world, uh, that it, is, uh, it has more negative impacts and I'm not just talking about business, but on all kinds of things, than it does positive. So I'm relatively optimistic uh, that uh, what we saw in the second quarter won't be repeated, and that until the world totally writes itself, uh, we'll be chugging along more or less where, where, where we are uh, with our third quarter results, possibly diminished a little the longer that this, uh, this lasts. Uh, you know, as we, again, I, you know, I mentioned our business plan, uh, and uh, uh, listen, we're going to build in plenty of provisions because uh, there are going to be ongoing bankruptcies. Uh, there are going to be ongoing requests for abatements as, you know, tenants just can't get going, and, and uh, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll deal with them in a, in a fashion that's best for RECAN holder, RECAN uh, uh, unit holders, which is not always best for them in the short term. Got it. Uh, thanks. That's a great color. Um, 
just maybe thinking about, you know, maybe the overall leasing trends, can you comment on what you're seeing with, uh, again, coming back to the potentially vulnerable category of tenants? You know, what sort of retention are, are you seeing? Uh, are you doing, you know, percentage rent deals or, or shorter terms? Uh, any color you can provide them? Yeah. Sure. I think some of the t those potentially vulnerable tenants are actually the very tenants that are coming out of CCAA protection uh, and, you know, largely apparel tenants. And, you know, in, in certain cases, depending on the strength of the location, we're doing, we're, we're actually retaining the exact terms that they had prior to going into CCAA. But, yeah, in certain, in certain uh, situations, we are reverting to short-term um, uh, deals that have floors on them, so at least the tenants are covering a certain amount of rent, uh, but there will be some variability in the, in the rental rate, so there, there are percentage rent deals. But we are keeping those to very short terms. I can't give you an exact percentage as to how much of our portfolio that represents, but it's fairly, it's fairly marginal in the scheme of things. We are trying to keep that variability to a minimum for our own selves for predictability purposes, uh, and we just think it's better business. Um, but there, there are certainly some of those that are being considered. Yeah, l largely the vul potentially vulnerable, and you know, I, I think we got to emphasize potentially. Uh, you know, if you include all the tenants that are mandated closed right now, they're all in that bucket. Um, if you include virtually every apparel retailer that we have, they're all in that bucket. Um, and, uh, you know, that, 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 that pretty well tells the tale. So a lot's going to depend on what percentage of those. We, I'm, I'm actually quite pleased the way Jonathan and, and all our operating people and leasing people have gotten us through the last eight months. Uh, we have not entered into any long-term um, negative deals. We haven't had to. Uh, we haven't given up any long-term abatements. We, we haven't been required to. And where we gave any partial abatements, which, which we have done, uh, and that, that forms uh, you know, a, a chunk of the provisions, uh, we've always gotten something back for it. Uh, whether that's an extension of term, future uh, growth in rents, or uh, quite frankly, control of a site that has great development potential. So there's always, uh, you know, we're, we don't give away Reacan's money for nothing. <laughs> Got it. Uh, last one for me. I think we're, we're getting into overtime here, but uh, just, you know, nice to see those transactions with, uh, with Woodborne and, and some of the others in the works. You know, when you think about the development program, you know, you, you clearly mentioned, you know, laser focus on the balance sheet. So just, you know, where do you see leverage trending uh, over the next year? Um, that's a good question. We're focused on our leverage. We want to keep our leverage really not much higher than it is now. Uh, that doesn't mean it may not, uh, and I'm focused more on the net debt to EBITDA number, which is, as, as I'm sure you know, a much more real and uh, objective number than uh, net, uh, than the percentage of uh, gross book value, because gross book value, you know, I hate to tell you, but not all REITs gross book value are created equal, um, and probably something you already know, uh, but don't write about. But the, uh, you know, so so looking at uh, at that net debt to EBITDA, um, we want to keep it, uh, uh, you know, no higher than it is now, as best we can. It's one of the things driving the disposition program that we've got. Uh, because we do have a development program where clearly we're creating huge value um, and we don't want to stop it. 
except to the, you know, certain cases we're certainly going to slow it down. But even where we're slowing it down, it's with that leverage uh, figure in mind. And over the course of the next year or two, uh, you know, uh, again, going back to my opening remarks, assuming the world in that year or two does go back to right side up instead of upside down, uh, we're, we're sticking to the targets that we currently publish where we want to have our, our uh, net debt to EBITDA down in that eight or less uh, area. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, Jonathan will get us there. Got it. Thank you very much. And uh, Jonathan, congrats again. And Ed, congrats to you as well as you enter uh, the next chapter, although I think we've got still a few moments to go. Thanks very Thanks, much. Bob. Thanks, Bobby. Okay, operator, if there's no other questions. Oh. We have one more question. Okay, this will be the last one then. Okay, our final question comes from the line of Dean Wilkinson from CIBC. Your line is open. Thanks. Last and least, congratulations to both of you, Ed. It felt like you were just getting started, so I, I'm, you know. I, yeah, I, I'm no, I, sometimes I feel that way, and, uh, but uh, you know what, I'm looking forward to just as, as chair of the board, just uh, being supportive of Jonathan as he takes, it, uh, takes this ship uh, into all kinds of interesting directions. Uh, it's, it's in good hands. It just reminded me that when I first met you that you were younger than I am now, so that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just want to, <laughs> yeah, well, we're about the same too, so uh, yeah. Um, I just wanted to quickly circle back on that issue of, 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 of debt. Um, Ed, you've seen a cycle or two through, through your career, and, and you, know, you certainly look at you know, things, 3.4 cap rate seems really low, but you know, that's a 300 basis point spread over 10-year bond yields effectively, so I, you know, I don't know that it is low. The last time Rio Can units were yielding 10%, it probably cost you 8% plus to borrow. In a world where you can borrow with a two in front of it, and, and if we were to stay like this for, 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 for a little bit longer, is the optimal capital structure to perhaps have more leverage? Or how, how do you think about that if, if the market doesn't sort of, you know, get us back on the right side of things. You know what, Dean, I, I can tell you, first of all, we think about it a lot, uh, because uh, certainly with some of the CMAC product uh, that uh, is coming on stream for us, uh, the number actually starts with a one uh, rather Crazy. than two. Uh, you know, 1.75 for 10 years uh, is, is the kind of numbers that are being thrown at us. So, um, you know, that's why I use the phrase a year or two uh, to get back to our targets, um, you know, might we over the course of months and quarters rather than years uh, let it move up a little if we find that there's a really good use uh, for those funds? Uh, I think the answer to that is we're going to talk about it internally, um, you know, all within the context of, you know, going back through all the crises and, and uh, uh, issues and, and meltdowns that I've lived through uh, and survived, um, the strength of your balance sheet uh, is what differentiates you from others. Um, you know, the, our unit values, I'm not sure that the, right now the, the uh, market is focusing on that, uh, but as we come through this pandemic and lenders, which I think is already starting to happen, become a little more picky uh, as to who they're prepared to fund, uh, having that very strong balance sheet is 
uh, critical to the long-term uh, prosperity of an entity like REACAN. And uh, so, yeah, we might let it move up, uh, you know, a, a, a few ticks on the net debt to EBITDA or the, the gross uh, book value percentage uh, in the short term uh, just to take advantage of, you know, what are historically low uh, interest rates. And, yeah, uh, borrowing money at 2% or less is rocket fuel. Uh, uh, for any company, but ultimately there's a price to pay for it, and you know, uh, uh, generally, notwithstanding uh, what others may think, we're pretty conservative when it comes to debt. Great, uh, that, that answers it fully. Um, again, thanks, congrats, and, and I'm sure we're going to see you for a long time still. Anyway, Dean, uh, thank you very much. Uh, well, you may see me, but you won't hear me on these uh, calls. <laughs> Okay, I think that's the end of it. Um, uh, operator, thank you very much. And everybody that dialed in, thank you very much. Uh, this will be the end of Recan's uh, Q3. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to you for the last time uh, in February. Everybody keep well, stay safe, and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This concludes today's program. You may all disconnect. Everyone have a great day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.